All right, all right, all right. We got another Hangry Thoughts episode today. That's right. Complex topic, though. Okay, complex topic. When I was trying to come up with a topic for this episode, I was also like, <laughs> let's use what I did in my latest webinar, okay? We love working smarter, not harder, right? We love that, especially when we want to say fuck capitalism, you know? I, okay, so many thoughts in my head. <laughs> this is like the theme of my week. I have so many thoughts going on in my brain at one time when I go to speak. My mind is running so fast and like my mouth like can't keep up with with the words and the thoughts and the things. So if I'm stuttering a lot today or if I'm talking way too freaking fast, apologies. Okay, apologies. But you know what? This is what you get. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, okay. The topic today is I want weight loss and body liberation through a harm reduction lens. That's a mouthful. If you're unsure what body liberation is, what harm reduction is, I got you. Okay, that's what we're talking about today. We're going to learn what these things are. We're going to learn how we can maybe apply some of these things to ourselves. And quite honestly, I mean, with all these episodes, but especially this one, this is great for you if you are someone that's looking to do this with your your own health behaviors, lifestyle, um, eating behaviors, whatever it may be. Or if you are a provider practitioner, okay, and you want to see how you can like approach this topic with clients, right? So why, 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 why this topic? Well, I don't think that it is unheard of or that it's, what the heck is the word? What? What? You don't think that it's, fuck. <laughs> This is what I'm saying. I can't think of words. Uncommon, uncommon, unheard of, uncommon to want to seek weight loss, right? Like that's not rocket science in our society. Our society is constantly pushing that narrative of you should want weight loss for health reasons, to be worthy, to have the ideal body, to be more comfortable in your body, to get better health care. Again, that list could go on forever. And weight loss, weight loss practices, engaging in diet culture, I have some thoughts on that. But again, as I've said in another episode, although I'm anti-diet, I am not anti-human. And so with all of my clients in every single session, I'm going to listen to my client's lived experience and center that and then go, okay, okay. If we want to pursue weight loss, if that means a diet, if that means a weight loss drug, if that means weight loss surgery, I'm going to present all of the information to you, not just the pros of this, because that's what really what we normally get just from diet culture, social media, and doctors. And then you can make an actual informed decision on what's best for you and your health and your lifestyle and going forward. And now sometimes that that kind of catch catches people off guard. And they're like, what do you mean you're going to tell me like the, the, the bad parts of this? Like, I don't really care what the bad parts are of it or the cons. I'm still going to do this thing. Cool. Like you can do that. You have bodily autonomy. I am not here to tell you what or what not to do. Okay. I don't think that that is my spot as 
a human, quite frankly, or as a provider. I think that as a provider, my job is to help you make the best decision for you. So again, I'm not trying to sway my clients one way or the other. I'm just here to like create this conversation, provide some thought-provoking questions, provide research, information, support, resources, and my client can decide what's best for them. And we can have that as always this open-ended conversation. And for many, weight loss or engaging in diet culture practices is a form of protection from, God, anti-fat bias, racism, healthism, ableism, Again, that list could go on forever. Just think like any ism is probably like what we're trying to protect ourselves from because it is a big, scary world out there sometimes, right? Especially if we are living in a marginalized body. So we're going to discuss in this episode the importance of harm reduction in weight loss attempts while working towards body liberation. Because quite frankly, it is so common that people feel like they either have to be all in to rebel against diet culture, or they have to be all in in engaging in diet culture. And we don't really talk about that middle part, which is where a lot more people live. Now, again, if you are someone that wants to live all in with diet culture or all in with rebelling, that is also okay. All right. This episode is more so a a resource here to help you figure out is that feeling like the best fit for you and you know maybe at this time in your life it is maybe in the past or in the future it isn't or it is okay again I'm not trying to persuade you with anything today rather I'm just trying to give you some more resources some more I guess thought-provoking questions again so that you can figure out yeah, this is for me or nah, this is not for me. Cool. So we're going to go over, um, I have to give a little disclaimer in this episode, so we'll go over that. We'll talk about fat versus fat stigma, desire for weight loss, what is harm reduction, and then that'll be it. All right. All right. So any content that you hear in this podcast, especially this podcast episode, is for informational purposes only and does not replace individual medical advice, all right? This does not replace any individualized diagnosis, treatment, or advice, and please work with a registered dietitian to further apply the topics covered and your doctor. And mm, although they are far and few between, I really hope that, you know, if you are trying to seek weight loss attempts, especially weight loss drugs or weight loss surgery, that... Maybe that doctor is a little bit more health at every size, um, is working on their own anti-fat bias, but say la vie, right? Like not all doctors are like that. Um, And the last one, never disregard professional medical advice because of something you read or heard in this podcast. So I'm just going to come out with a bang right here. Fat is not a moral failure. You've heard it from me once. You're going to hear it from me a bajillion more times. Fat is not a moral failure. So what do I mean by this? Well, our culture is, again, not unheard of or not surprising. That was the word I was looking for, surprising, LOL. (laughs) It's always like the most basic word that I can't find. (laughs) Cool. It's not surprising that our culture is, well, intensely fat phobic. 
right? And invested in the prejudice against those bodies. So when we take a step back and we zoom out, it's important for us to look at what are the reasons as to why I feel like I want to or need to pursue weight loss. And I pulled three different quotes here from different people in marginalized bodies, whether it's BIPOC, LGBTQI+, in a fat body, um, disabled body. And I just, I want to read my quotes. I want to read my quotes. So the first one here is from Jess Baker. I just finished her book, which I think I might have said in another podcast, but if I didn't, I'm just going to repeat it here. Um, She has a book that she wrote, I believe it was like 2018, 2019, don't quote me on that, called Land Whale. And I, I just love that title because she pretty much, let me back up. She started as a blogger, Jess Baker. She is in a fat body and she really kind of like broke the internet first by doing this Abercrombie and Fitch campaign, kind of like trolling Abercrombie and Fitch for their stupid, uninclusive sizing for like always having the thinnest, most straight size, not even straight size, just like thin, gaunt models in their campaigns and not being inclusive in the slightest. And Abercrombie and Fitch back in the day too was also just I think it was just fully white. I don't even, yeah, fully, fully white, straight size, thin models. And so in this campaign, and I, I recommend you to look her up, um, J-E-S, Jess Baker, um, Abercrombie and Fitch campaign, and I'm sure you'll find it on Google. Um, she like took all these pictures exactly the way they were in the campaign in black and white in their clothing. And it's just great. So the quote is, and through it all, or no. And it was through all this that I harnessed the limitless power that can come by reclaiming the word fat. Yow. That's good. That's good. The next quote that I have is from Daenery Grace, who, as they have in their bios, is a non-binary icon, love, um, is a screenwriter, poet, freelance writer, editor, activist, black, bi, non-binary, multiply, multiply disabled, and fat. And so, so many things. And this quote that I wanted to share, they write, it is rare to see fat people humanized in the media. For the most part, we are demonized, depicted as headless bodies in reported journalism. So when I saw this quote, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I recommend you listen to my, mm, what was that, episode 19? That sounds about right. Maybe it's not. Um, with Lindley Ashline, who is a photographer and really prioritizes photographing, photographing, photographing (laughs) people in marginalized bodies and kind of helping them through that process of seeing their bodies on camera, working with negative body image, feeling more neutral or accepting, um, and, and just like teaching them how to pose, have fun in front of the camera. And I feel like this quote goes really well with that episode. So if you haven't listened to it, I recommend a listen. The third quote that I have, the last one, it's from Sabrina Strings, who is the author of Fearing the Black Body, which chef's kiss with that book. Great read. I recommend it if you have not. And I also believe um, an audiobook might be available on Spotify. Again, don't quote me on that. So Her quote is, 
The fear of the imagined fat black woman was created by racial and religious ideologies that have used to both degrade black women and discipline white women. Whoa. So after hearing those quotes, let that sink in for a little bit. That's a lot. That's a lot. Now, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk more squarely with weight-based discrimination, okay? So weight-based discrimination may not be an entirely separate form of oppression, but rather a continuation of the same social factors aimed at oppressing other marginalized members of society. And this is a quote that comes from Why Weight Matters, addressing body shaming in the social justice community. This came out in 2011. Okay, There's a lot to unpack in that sentence. A lot to unpack. But we'll get into it here. So we cannot talk about wanting weight loss and body liberation without discussing the systems of oppression that further weight stigma, anti-fat bias, and body shaming. Because think about it. For so much of society, for so many people, the desire for weight loss comes from that, that, like I said, protection or not wanting to be body shamed any longer, whether that is from their doctor, from their family, friends, coworkers, want to have access to quality health care, um, want gender affirming. So I'm getting ahead of myself. So why do people want weight loss? Let's start there. Okay. Maybe it's clothing, fit and fashion, right? I talked about this on a recent uh, reel on Instagram, but there is such thing called vanity sizing. Okay, if this is not something that you heard of, I guarantee this is something that like your favorite clothing store is doing. Okay, vanity sizing or size inflation is the phenomenon of ready to wear clothing for the same nominal size becoming bigger in physical size over time. Okay, Um, another kind of way that we can think about um, vanity sizing is labeling clothing with a size smaller than the actual cut of the items, okay? So your size 34 might actually be a size 36 or larger. And this is done to make the customer feel better about themselves and make them buy more clothing. Like it's it's very psychology, diet culture, body shaming based, right? Especially for, uh, no, I'm not even gonna say that, for, for any person, for any person. Um, I was going to say especially for women, but that's not true. Non-binary, cis men, cis women, that list can go on too. Everyone is affected by this, okay? And since I'm kind of on that topic, this is kind of like another tangent. The reason why in my podcast, in my social media, the reason why I don't just target women and a lot of people do that when they talk about diet culture is because women aren't, cis women aren't the only ones that are affected by diet culture. Everyone is. No matter your race, ethnicity, culture, gender identity, um, it, it, yeah, it's, diet culture is hard. Diet culture is embedded in so many different areas of our lives. And so, I always speak very broadly about these topics because, again, everyone's affected by it. Another way that we can think of vanity sizing, um, think of like Brandy Melville, right? They are known for their one size fits all bullshit, 
when we know that their closing maybe fits an extra, extra small up to maybe a medium, maybe. Um, other stores like said Abercrombie & Fitch, um, Hollister, Zara, and I'm forgetting the other one that's big. Um, they also sometimes do things where they will take um, like a medium and that fits like a small. And that kind of seems counterintuitive because it's like, why would people want to go up a size at a clothing store if diet culture is always telling us that that's bad and we should always size down? So there's a lot of like mind games that not, not only diet culture, but the fashion industry plays with us. Another reason why people might want weight loss is for career growth. We know that people in larger fat bodies, um, very similar with women or BIPOC persons, LGBTQIA+, um, do not experience the same financial growth or career growth as a cis white man. Um, Another reason, eating disorders, gender affirming surgery with that one there's a certain bmi that doctors will place on their patients in order to say that they can qualify for that gender affirming surgery ableism and mobility seating access think about airplane seating if someone in a larger body doesn't fit in these seats because they are so fucking small um they need to buy two airplane seats and that is fucking expensive dude um even in doctor's offices Right. Sometimes those chairs have armrests that come up and not everyone can fit into those chairs. That is not accessible. Uh, improve relationships, trauma response, enhanced quality of life, pregnancy or fertility treatment. Because, again, a lot of doctors place BMI restrictions or recommendations when their patients are trying to become pregnant or are pregnant and give a lot of weight loss advice. Access to quality health care, which we've discussed, and then want less oppressive lives. I think that one speaks for itself. Now, listen to me when I say this. Your experience related to body image and size is real. Period. Point blank. Okay. I, again, am not here to tell you what your experience is. Okay. Because again, how the fuck would I know that? right? I'm just over here with a little mic and some headphones on my laptop just recording a podcast. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your lived experience is. I am here to just tell you, hey, here's all this information. Do with it what you will, okay? And if you want to chat about it, let's chat about it, okay? So your experience related to body image and size is real, period. All right. Now we're going to switch gears and talk more about dieting and weight loss okay just for a little bit and then we'll go into harm reduction there are no scientifically proven solutions to long-term sustainable weight loss there are no studies okay the failure rate for diets remains at 95 percent okay this does not mean that we shouldn't be engaging in these practices doesn't mean that we're wrong for engaging in these practices doesn't mean that we're wrong or bad for desiring wanting weight loss no Not at all. And we also need to know why our diets don't stick, why we don't see that long-term weight loss. And I think this is another little important uh, sidebar. When you are seeing that long-term weight loss, I want you to think, 
what have you done or needed to do to maintain that? Is it long-term restriction? Is it always having to have, always having to have, always needing to, (laughs) always needing to track your calories, macros, sugar intake, whatever kind of nutrition tracking that you're doing? Is it doing an app like Noom, my fitness pal? Is it having to work out every day or twice a day? Is it always stepping on the scale, measuring your body? What are the things that you have done or needed to do to continue or maintain that weight loss? And was it worth it? Diet culture continues to push. If you do our diet, you will have success and your life will be better for it. So I want you to take just a moment and ask yourself the ask yourself these questions. How many times have you gone on a diet? I want you to reflect on diets that you've tried. Or maybe even count. Yeah, how many times is it keto, Atkins, Mediterranean, Dash diet, a detox, a sugar cleanse? What are the things that you've done? How long did that diet last? Not even a full day? A day, a couple days, a week, a month. Did you have success? How long did that success last? What kind of success was it? At what cost? Were there things you had to give up in order to achieve that success? Okay. Woo! Heavy questions, heavy questions, questions. (laughs) Um, Sorry about it, but I do listen to Call Her Daddy. And uh, she always does questions of the week. Also, she has a little bit better of a singing voice than I do. But, you know, whatever. So, okay. What is harm reduction? I feel like this podcast is like, I feel like this podcast is me just... (laughs) Sometimes sitting here and like telling you this scientific shit and then all of a sudden it's just my intrusive thoughts. Um, hope you enjoy that. <laughs> you don't. I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay. What is harm reduction? Oh, I need more coffee. It's not even that early. It's like 9 a.m. while I'm recording this. And I've only had one and a half cups of coffee. <laughs> Okay. All right. What is harm reduction? This is a serious topic, Abby. Settle down. Okay. Harm reduction is a set of practical strategies and ideas aimed at reducing negative consequences associated with health behaviors. Okay. This is also coming from the Harm Reduction Coalition. Okay. That's a website. You can check it out. Harm reduction is also a movement for social justice built on a belief and respect for the rights of people without extinguishing the harmful behaviors completely. Now, that last part is super important. The rights of people without extinguishing the harmful behaviors completely. Because again, as we just kind of talked about, so many reasons within this topic as to why someone wants weight loss. Now, harm reduction, really like when it first came onto the scene when people are recognizing harm reduction, it wasn't necessarily in um, thinking about weight loss or eating disorders. It was more so thinking about substance use, drugs, alcohol, and the different ways that people could still engage in substance use, 
but maybe in safer practices. So for example, if someone is using a drug that requires a needle, like making sure we're not sharing needles, using a new needle for each administration, question mark, is that correct? Um, yeah, okay, we, we understand. So, so how do weight loss and harm reduction relate? Good question, I'm so glad that you asked. Well, I got some bullet points to talk about. I got some bullet points. An individual's decision to use is accepted, okay? To use in the sense of like engaging in an eating disorder, a diet, disordered eating. Um, an individual is treated with dignity. So there's no shame around still wanting to continue these habits or behaviors, okay? There is an understanding of why we are engaging in those behaviors. Um, the third one, individual is expected to take responsibility for their own behavior. That one we are more so recognizing like the reasons as to why this behavior is being used um, and, and the different forms of protection, safety, and other reasons as to why it's present. Um, number four, individuals have a voice. So this is an open conversation. We are talking about it. We are asking thought-provoking questions. Five, reducing harm, not consumption. So the goal here, reducing harm, okay? Again, we're not extinguishing these behaviors. And the last one, no predefined outcomes. I'm not here to say, you do this, you're gonna lose weight. You don't do this, you're not gonna lose weight. Because again, I don't know, especially if you're not my client and I don't know your lived experiences, history with dieting, eating disorder, disordered behaviors. No, no. There are no predefined outcomes. I am not here to tell you if you follow this diet, you're gonna have this kind of success. Rather, again, we're looking at your lived experience, what your health goals are, what feels safe and right for you, okay? So again, looking further in how weight loss and harm reduction relate, well, we gotta go back to that there's limited, limited success in supporting sustained weight loss. And one of the harms that comes up from dieting is weight cycling. And this is a phenomenon or really something that's been studied in scientific research of the way that when we're on a diet, we lose X amount of weight. When we stop our diet, we gain that weight back and maybe some more. Then we go back on a diet, we lose that weight. We get off the diet, we gain that weight back and so on, right? So our weight is going up and down, up and down. We have found that that is more harmful than the fat tissue itself. We have learned that your weight going up and down like that repeatedly over and over, well, one, there's a lot of shame that comes into that, right? Of, oh, I'm never able to stay on my diet. I always feel my diet. I don't have discipline. I don't have willpower. It's not that. You are not at fault. You are not the reason why the diet is not sticking. It has nothing to do with discipline or willpower, okay? And I'm going to put a little pause on that. But again, the weight cycling, the weight going up and down is more harmful than the initial body, than the fat tissue, than the fat itself, okay? It puts a lot of stress on the body. And so going back to, this is not your fault. I was just speaking with a client this week surrounding, you know, really challenging what health is and the reasons as to why anti-fat bias exists. And now this client 
I'm not going to tell you like anything about them other than like they are in a straight size body. Okay. And for a lot of people in straight size bodies that are struggling with an eating disorder, the first thought is I don't want to gain weight. Okay. I'm afraid of gaining weight. I can't do that. And this is twofold. One, I understand. And also we need to challenge this. Okay. I understand in the sense that anti-fat bias is strong in our society and diet culture. And there is a lot of weight stigma, fat stigma that we hear about and talk about in our society. Okay. The other side is why do you believe that? Why is that something that you're afraid of? Is it something that a doctor said, a friend said, coworker, family member? Have you experienced trauma? Have you um, struggled with an eating disorder for X amount of time and it's served as safety, protection, distraction? What are these reasons this fear is coming up? And is it truly based in fearing weight or body changing? Is it deeper? What are the factors that are contributing to this fear? And I shared with them when we were talking about eating food, eating a certain amount and feeling shame around eating certain foods or eating quote unquote too much food. And this idea of I have to be disciplined and have willpower. I said, is that, is that the full story? When we're looking at discipline within, say, like learning how to play the piano, is that different than discipline in finding or having shelter, than having fresh water, than having access to food? And they were like, no. And I was like, right. And although I'm, I'm really breaking that one side of it down further, eating is a basic human need. We need food to survive. Other basic needs are shelter, water, safety. And so if we're boiling those things down to discipline, does that make sense? And why does our culture put so much emphasis on discipline around food if it's a basic human need? And it's it's a hard topic to approach because... For a lot of us, for the majority of our life, we have heard that I'm not disciplined. I have to have willpower, blah, 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 when it comes to diet and exercise. But I want to challenge that further. Why is discipline important? Why does that feel important to you? And is that really what we need if eating is a basic human need? Now, another reason why we might want weight loss and harm reduction, how these relate, is this increased awareness of an array of change options and recognition that incremental change, whether it's moderate, individualized shifts in eating or exercise habits can be beneficial. So again, maybe this is looking at, actually, no, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there. We'll get there. Hold your horses. So rebelling against diet culture may feel inaccessible for many. Engaging in diet culture and weight loss practices may serve as a line of defense towards, again, fat phobic friends, family members, doctors, other healthcare providers, and more. Now, this is why we need harm reduction for weight loss. 
dieting is not effective, increase in eating disorder behaviors, weight loss surgery complications, weight loss drug side effects, short and long-term, denied gender affirming care and other surgeries, normalized self-harm. Okay, those are like the biggies, the six, the six biggies. So now we're at the point in the episode where we're going to talk about examples of harm reduction for weight loss. Yay! The audience goes crazy. So this is the moment you've all been waiting for. You've listened to my voice for 30 some minutes and you're like, Abby, I'm ready. So then, all right, let's get to it. Let's get motherfucking to it. So, okay, I broke this down into three different ones, kind of the most common ones that I'm hearing from clients, people on social media, in my DMs. So we got weight loss surgery, diet pills slash weight loss drugs, and then exercise. Okay. Now, yes, there's more ways that we could look at harm reduction for weight loss, but again, these are like the three main. And then just for sake of like saving the battery on your phone and your AirPods, like let's just cut this episode as short as we can, you know, because it's already been way too long. (laughs) You know, when I think about sitting down to record a podcast, I'm like, who would want to listen to this for an hour? I'm like, God, not me. (laughs) No, I don't know. I, yes, what? (laughs) There's like some podcasts where even if I'm like super into it and I'm learning a bunch or it's funny or whatever the heck I'm listening to the podcast for, I, I like need to listen to it in chunks because my mind starts to wander too much and I go, oh shit, like I wasn't listening to what they were saying and I've got to rewind it. Um, so if that's you, um, I see you, I hear you and, uh, same, same, um, I don't know where I was going with that. So let's get to it. Okay. Okay. Uh, weight loss. So these are ways that we can have harm reduction in this weight loss practice. So weight loss surgery. We want to make sure that we have a thorough aftercare plan with our doctor and dietitian. Okay. Now our doctor is not going to be the one that gives us the nutrition advice, um, the amount of fluids to drink and so on, and like the safe foods to consume. This is something that you need to work on with a dietitian. There should also be a before care plan. Before care? Is that? God, I worked in the hospital and you would think that I didn't considering I have no idea what the fuck I'm saying when it comes to words. <laughs> I promise I know what I'm doing. Um, so what was I saying? Um, creating a plan with your doctor and dietitian. Okay. Your dietitian is going to be the one that helps you to make sure like, okay, we are staying safe throughout this. Um, when we have certain weight loss surgeries, there's like amounts of volume that we can safely consume at, at given times. Um, and we have to make sure that we're not having also like too tough of foods, too much fiber and so on. Okay. We also want to make sure that we're consuming foods high in vitamin B12, folic acid, iron, calcium, and thiamine to avoid nutritional deficiencies. Okay. And then if we are noticing nutritional deficiencies, your doctor and dietitian can help you to supplement safely with these. Okay. That's key. That's key. We also, before getting the weight loss surgery, need to consider eating disorder history. For many people, there is this idea that, or belief, that if we have an eating disorder and then 
have a weight loss surgery, that that eating disorder, those behaviors are just going to poof, go away. That is not the case. The eating disorder can still very much be present. And because the diet post weight loss surgery is very complex and very restrictive, it can further exacerbate, question mark, the eating disorder. Okay. We also want to make sure that we're working with our doctor and possibly dietitian to understand potential risks of weight loss surgery. Because again, we cannot make informed consent if we don't have the full picture. Okay. And then regular checkups with your doctor and dietitian to make sure things are going good, we're on the smooth path. And if something comes up, we have that support and that medical um, monitoring to help make sure like, okay, we, we got this. We got this covered under control. Okay. Um, the next one, diet pills or weight loss drugs. Okay. Again, consult with your doctor. Consult with your doctor. Hopefully, again, this is a doctor that is health at every size aligned, is working on their own anti-fat bias, but we do not live in a perfect world and not all doctors and dietitians too are like that. Um, Taking caution if you or your family have a history of pancreatic or kidney issues and disease. And why that is, is here. So one of the common weight loss drugs that we see or diet pills is Manjaro. And side effects that we can see with this is nausea, abdominal pain, rapid heartbeat, thyroid cancer, kidney disease, sweating, and dizziness. Ozempic and Wegovi, two other really popular ones that we're hearing lots about, same as Manjaro, plus depression, suicidal ideation, GERD, which is gastroesophageal reflux disease, like really bad heartburn, Um, and also pancreatic kidney disease. So again, we want to have regular checkups with our doctor, make sure that if we have nutritional deficiencies, if our labs are starting to get wacky, our heart rate, our our vitals, we want to make sure that these things are okay, that we are staying safe, again, reducing harm. The ones that I tell my clients to avoid, this is when I go, I do not recommend these drugs. I do not advise you to take these drugs. These are dangerous and I might fuck up some of these words. So Belvic, B-E-L-V-I-Q, Meridia, Meridia, M-E-R-I-D-I-A, Cunexa, the Japanese weight loss pill, Emigris, Slim, um, Clenobuterol, uh, Dinitrophenol or DNP, um, Ephedrine and Fenfen and Contrav. Okay. These ones are a no go hard stop red light. Okay. These are dangerous. I do not recommend these drugs. And the third one, looking at exercise. Okay. So if you're someone that is engaging in, you know, longer than an hour, I would say of movement or, or exercise, if we're attending hit classes, if we're doing, um, hot yoga, if we are, Um, going on long hikes, if it's hot out, if it's really cold out, if we are doing twice a day workouts, if we are over-exercising, I recommend these things to reduce the harm and and create some more safety in these practices. So the first one is staying hydrated. Maybe we even have a sports drink or extra 
extra electrolytes, that's hard to say, with liquid IV, um, L-M-N-T, uh, what's the phonetic alphabet? L as in Lala, <laughs> as in Moo, N as in No, and T as in Tata. <laughs> that is incorrect, but I think that works. The next one, make sure your phone is fully charged. Make sure you have your phone on you. Because if we are especially doing some kind of outdoor activity, we might get lost. We might get injured. We, we might need our phone on us to call for help, call for backup. Um, next one, bring snacks and electrolytes if the workout is, again, over an hour. And typically the snacks that we want is some quick kind of carbohydrates. So maybe we have those kind of gel packets that you see um, long distance runners using. Maybe we have some fruit snacks or some gummies in our pocket. Um, there's also like electrolyte energy chews, like from Gatorade, for example. Lots of different things that we can have. Just easy, quick energy that our body can digest. So again, we're somewhat at least nourished and can continue with our movement. Two more. We have wearing the appropriate clothing for the weather or temperature. So if it's super hot outside and it's like 90 or 100 plus degrees, we don't want to be wearing a parka right? Um, and then if it's really cold, making sure that maybe we have a parka, gloves, long underwear, high socks, boots, those things, okay? Maybe we have some kind of like sweat wicking attire on to help kind of pull sweat away from our body if it's super hot. Um, we have shade, we have sunscreen. And then the last one, stop exercising if you feel pain in your chest, stomach pain, dizziness, feel faint, difficulty breathing. Now, we're nearing the end of this podcast, and one thing that I want to leave you with as well is health is not a one-size-fits-all, okay? Health is subjective and a social construct. The ways that we think about health are very aligned and come from the capitalistic society that we live in and this idea that health is a certain look, is a certain way of living, and that we need to have health in order to get that raise at work, in order to have um, love, in order to be accepted, to be worthy. And that is not true. That is not the full picture in the slightest. Another thing that I was speaking about with a client this past week is when we think about health, like what does that look like to us? Do we picture a certain person, a certain body size, way of living? What is that quote unquote healthy person doing? And if we think about someone that isn't healthy, what does that look like? What are they doing? What is their life like? Do we think that that person is less worthy just because they're not healthy? Why or why not? Where does that belief stem from? And again, when we think about health, this is not about necessarily weight, nutrition, exercise. Health is also, are we struggling with a mental health disorder, cancer, lung disease, heart disease? Did we have a heart attack? Was there a stroke? Like, these are also part of health. And yes, they're more severe, but 
if someone had a heart attack and in that moment they are not healthy, does that mean that they are not worthy or deserving? Are they less than? Absolutely not. We would not say that. So why do we think that if it's someone in a marginalized body? Sit on that. Sit on that. And that's a hard one to deconstruct because again, racism, ableism, healthism pushes that narrative. Okay. We need to deconstruct that in order to find that body liberation. So that brings me to this next piece of what does health look like? So some examples for a person with access to various resources. This could be attending regularly, regular therapy sessions, checkups with their primary care physician, their doctor, limiting phone or social media usage, journaling, engaging in movement, taking medications to ease signs or symptoms of mental health d- diagnoses. That, that is not an all-inclusive list, but just gives you an idea. Now, health for someone that has limited resources might look like this. Purchasing shelf-stable convenient food, buying canned and frozen fruits and vegetables, utilizing SNAP-WIC and PEBT benefits, opting for cheaper protein sources like eggs, canned beans, lentils, tofu, chicken thighs, ground beef, and planning meals ahead to lessen food waste. Again, not all-inclusive, but just gives you some ideas. You can see how these two different things in just regards to resources changes the way that health may look for different people. And we need to remember this when we think about what is health, what is important to me when I'm thinking about my health, what do I want my health to look like? Do I have the resources available and the support possibly for for this journey, for making these informed decisions? Because again, health is a social construct and health is so subjective. What I might think is healthy is different than what you might think is healthy. What your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your neighbor that lives three doors down thinks is healthy, right? So that was a lot of fucking things in this episode today. A lot of things. Now, that being said, if you are finishing this episode and going, holy shit, Abby, that was a lot that you just threw at me. It, it was. And if you want a place to safely discuss these things, non-judgment space, then I, I really urge you to work with a registered dietitian. If that is moi, um, or if that is someone in your area, someone that you know, follow on Instagram, whatever it may be. Okay. Um, preferably a non-diet and um, non-diet trauma-informed dietitian that can help you to further unpack the anti-fat bias, find body liberation for you, and look through that harm reduction lens. So that being said, I got to go finish my coffee. I'm kind of hungry, I think. I need to go figure out what I want to eat. And uh, I think that's all I got for you guys right now. Okay. All right. Well, have a good day. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.